to the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. Whether you're a student, a graduate, or an early career advisor, join us as we dive into the ins and outs of becoming a financial planner. I'm your host, Azaria Bell, bringing you tips from the experts on career strategy, sanity, and success. Today's episode is focused on what to expect when stepping into your first role in the financial planning industry. I'll be joined by my friend Mitchell Harrison, financial advisor at LBW Business and Wealth Advisors, to reflect on our experience and share some words of wisdom. We discuss our different introductions into the industry, applying for jobs, deciding what roles suit you, interview tips, salary expectations, and how to set yourself apart from the rest. I hope you enjoy. Hey Mitch, thank you so much for joining us again on the FPA podcast. Hey Zaria, how are you going? Very good, thank you. Hey, last time we had a chat to you, we were talking about your experience going through the professional year. Um, And today we're going to be talking about stepping into your first role in the financial planning industry. So could you give anyone who hasn't met you yet a little bit of a background about how you got started in financial planning? Yeah, great question. Um, Originally, uh, so, so currently I work as a financial advisor. Uh, and I have worked at the same place for the last five years. Um, uh, basically, five years ago, I was working a retail job, like I'm sure most of us uh, were, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like most retail jobs, um, had a day that wasn't too crash hot. Uh, got a little bit frustrated, and I um, looked for some uh, advisor advisor roles. Um, so I think I was like three years into my university degree. So. I did a double degree. I think I ended up being at uni for like five years. So it was coming towards the end of my degree, like a mid midway through close to the end. Um, so I was kind of like, Oh, I doubt I'll find anything just because, you know, I'm still at uni, still, mm-hmm. still doing that sort of thing. Um, but I did actually find a role for a power planning position um, at my current employer. Um, and it said like on the application, like on the actual website where you apply um, that, basically students can apply if you wanted to, like said something along those lines. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'll give it a crack. Um, and before I applied, I thought I'll just reach out to the HR manager first because it had like her email. Um, so I just reached out to her and just said, hey, look, here's where I'm currently at. Um, just wanting to know if you'd be interested or taking someone on that's still at uni. Um, yeah, she said that was fine and that we could chat about it in terms of days of a week, you know, I'm working and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, went in for the interview, obviously got the job, um, and I was working, yeah, would have been, I think four days a week, three or four days a week. It's a power plan to start off with while I was at uni. And then once I finished, obviously moved into a full-time role. So Amazing. yeah, that was good. What about Amazing. you, Azaria? Let's hear about, let's hear a bit about your experience. And, yeah. uh, your I actually don't think I've gone into that on this podcast yet. So yeah, thank you for the lead in. Um, so when I was studying at university, uh, I'm probably around halfway through my degree, I decided that I wanted to get some experience in the industry. I'd worked as a bank teller at a credit union previously, so I had some minor exposure to money-related roles, um, and that was kind of what I used to springboard into looking into uh, different financial planning roles that were out there. Before I did that, one thing I did at university was apply for a bunch of scholarships, I'd been encouraged by my lecturer to apply for different scholarships, um, despite thinking I wouldn't get any. I did that. And before I knew it, it turns out I had been awarded a scholarship with a business who were offering not only a financial prize, but um, also the opportunity to do work experience. So I kind of put my job search on hold and I decided to focus on doing that. Um, So what that looked like was doing work experience at this uh, firm, a mid-sized firm in the city. And I was really just filling out Christmas cards for clients, scanning documents, really doing that real basic stuff around the office. Um, And that ended up leading to a part-time position as a associate advisor. So it was not a traditional way of getting into financial planning at all and definitely came with its challenges, which I'll go into in the podcast. Um, But yeah, my first role in the industry was as an associate advisor. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, like... I think at least at least when I was a student at uni, like what I thought of originally was that, you know, I just wanted like a financial advisor position because I just mm-hmm. thought that's the end goal. Like that's what I mm-hmm. thought was the answer or, or the role I wanted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even when I like was like looking on Seek or one of those websites where I applied, I think I, I think I literally typed in financial advisor roles like yeah. in my local area, and it ended up being like coming up with this power planning role. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe maybe we talk about the different roles a little bit um, a little bit further. But um, even even now, like after starting that power planning role, I I remember um, being like, I don't know what this role is, but hey, it's it's a foot in the like kind of like what you're saying, it's a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good place to start. Uh, and then obviously I have to figure out what that was. And I kind of got a bit of experience in that role, but, you know, writing Christmas cards, but, you know, scanning <laughs> documents a little bit on the side as well, doing more of a CSO role. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, moving into advice, but yeah, that sounds like, that sounds really crazy. Like how did yeah. you find that? I feel like that would be so challenging. It was really challenging. I would say probably for the first year of that role, I felt like I was constantly drowning. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was coming into a role replacing someone because my boss was initially looking for someone full-time with a, with a financial planning degree, with existing experience who can just start um, and look after his clients. And I was someone who was still studying at uni. I hadn't finished yet. I couldn't be full-time because I was doing my degree and I had absolutely no ex- experience at all. Um, so one of the biggest biggest things there was I had a really supportive boss who really invested in me and helped me grow. Um, but at the same time, the people around me, when you're in financial planning, if you're supporting an advisor, there are other staff members in the business who are relying on you to know what you're doing. And I didn't. So I'd say probably the first year was just figuring out what on earth was going on. And it was after that, that I really got comfortable. But um, in terms of if I'd recommend that pathway to anyone, I, I, I'm not too sure that I would. It is a bit of a um, getting thrown into the deep end kind of role. Um, So I thought maybe we could talk, Mitch, about for someone who's listening who hasn't yet got into financial planning, what kind of roles should they be looking for and should they be applying for? What are your thoughts based on your experiences and maybe the experiences of your peers? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, Look, I'd probably surmise that there's maybe three main kind of roles. It's probably this way in my view. Mm-hmm. which would be a client service officer or admin support, or they've got a variety of different names, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and that role is, I presume, kind of akin to what you kind of started off in as Zara, maybe less the Christmas cards, but, mm-hmm. you know, some scanning, some completing the paperwork for the clients, like if there's any application forms or um, conversing with the clients if need be, like giving them a call and letting them know, you know, um, the book appointments or something like that. Um the second role, uh, which is the one that I started in, was power planning. So power planning is a lot of um, working with the advisor uh, to basically write the advice document or the statement of advice. Um, and it's basically your job to, to write that. Um, I think depending on, on where you work, that role can have different uh, like breadth to it. So where I was, it was also a lot of the strategy side. It was working with the advisor on the strategy side. So developing the investment recommendations and things like that. Like I, I kind of built my knowledge base up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the third role would be, um, yeah, an advisor or associate advisor or, or something along those lines, which is obviously meeting the clients, having those discussions, um, you know, writing the file notes and then getting everything ready for the CSO and the power planner. So yeah. um, I, I think I would probably say a CSO is the best place to start and it's probably the most common. And I think it's the most common for a reason. Um, and I think. I know when I was at uni, I really wanted to just get to be an advisor as, as soon as physically possible because that was like the end goal. But like you said, in, in retrospect, now I am an advisor. I think I would have drowned, <laughs> like Absolutely. you said. Absolutely. Um, and like, so I started as a power planner, but my boss, and I'll, I'll never forget this because my boss um, is a great boss. And what he said to me was that you, I, I, he tries to make sure everyone does some admin work. So then they understand the back office side of things. So for example, then you understand the paperwork involved with recommending this over this, um, you know, because it, it, it matters to the client at the end of the day. Implementation is really important and how mm. fast things get done. Um, and that's, that's a key element that you need to understand. So, yeah, um, I totally agree because one of the issues I had was even having been in the industry for two years in my role, I didn't know how to fill out an application form for a super fund. I didn't know how the SOAs actually came to be an SOA. All those little things, if I had had that background knowledge, it would have made my role make way more sense. 
Um, and I totally agree. If I had gone straight into a financial planner's role, I would have been the worst financial planner in the world. I think starting out with those real basic things, even if they are boring, like scanning documents, filling out application forms, it makes you a more capable advisor. Because one day, if you go out and start your own business as a financial planner, you're going to be the one doing all of that. And that was one thing I always used to worry about is if I ever went out on my own, I wouldn't know how to do any of those administrative things that a financial planner needs in order to help their clients. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think that leads into the other part there too, where, I mean, one of the great things for me about power planning was that that's really how I built my technical um, analysis of, mm. of what was happening in strategies. Because, um, like I said, like, I think uni doesn't necessarily prepare you for everything. And like, I remember, I remember being at uni and I think they talked about managed funds and I just didn't understand what a managed fund was. Like, yeah. I think I understood the theory of it, but not in practicality of what managed fund was. And it wasn't until I started working and under like working with it, that I'm like, Oh, I kind of get it now where mm -hmm. it's more abstract at uni, at least, at least for me, but I, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but um, so with power planning, I found that like a really good way to, to boost my technical skills. And like, I, I worked at a small firm. <clears throat> so I used to have conversations with my boss about, you know, why we're recommending the strategy, you know, mm. what's involved in it, those sorts of things. H how did you find it just going straight into being a, like an associate from, and not really having that background technical knowledge apart from what you learned at uni? Yeah, I found it really hard. And I actually vividly remember having this conversation with one of the power planners. We were waiting at that elevator at the end of the day. Um, and we were chatting about, me coming into the business and coming into straight into an advisor role, sorry, associate advisor role. And he was saying to me, and I was so surprised to hear it. He was like, I'm so jealous of you as Aria for going straight into an associate role. And I said, why is that? Like, I was thinking he's an amazing power planner, so technically brilliant. He knows everything. If anyone in the business has a question, this guy would know how to do everything in terms of strategy. And he said, he is grateful that he has the technical knowledge but he doesn't know how to communicate that to clients. Whereas for me, my job was straight away communicating to clients. From day one, I was sitting in front of the clients, um, understanding those soft skills, understanding how to talk to them. Whereas for me, I, I had the opposite approach. I was saying, I wish I had done what you'd done because you have all this technical, brilliant knowledge so that when you're communicating that to the clients, um, you, you know exactly what you're talking about. Whereas I feel like I'm figuring it out as I go. Um, so for me, I think that technical knowledge that came a lot slower over time. Um, and for me, after that role, I ended up moving somewhere else. I now work in a role uh, in financial planning, which we'll chat about in another episode where I'm specializing just in insurance. And when I went into this role, they said, if you're going to be doing your professional year, let's start you out doing client services work, then you can do the power planning and then you can move up to doing um, the actual advice presentation. So I eventually did get that progression much later in my career. Um, but yeah, there were definitely pros, which were, of course, getting to meet with clients from day one and getting really comfortable in those client meetings. I'm so curious, like how, how did you find that? How do you find that now, now that you've actually gone through that process in your, in your current role? Do you feel more confident like when you're talking with clients mm. knowing that you, you do genuinely know what you're talking about? Like yeah. you've got that technical skill to back you up or? Totally. Because when they ask those little questions, I, I know because I've, I've done that before. And not only that, it also helps me in my role as an advisor um, and anyone who's listening who's planning on being an advisor or even planning on being in a support role, you'll know that you it's, it's not just the advisor that does the work. Really, the advisor probably does the least work out of everyone it's yeah. such a communal effort um, so now that I have that experience and now I'm in an advisor role I can better lead other staff members I can better communicate what I need from them um, and I feel like it's a much more fair distribution of, of duties now yeah I, I would agree with that and I think I think it's really interesting that you're talking about um, the your co-worker uh, your previous role who was a power player and had all that technical knowledge because like you said, it is a communal role. And I think a lot of the time we're so focused on the end goal of being an advisor that we overlook the steps mm -hmm. and the steps don't have to be steps. They can be their career and, you know, a career in their own right. Um, so for example, I, I work with two fellows at the moment who are power planners and they're career power planners and they, they love that role. Uh, and both of them at some point in their careers 
you know, they, they went through those steps and they became an advisor. And then I know one of them did it for a month and he went, uh, nope, not for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's like, I want to be a power planner again, please. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's what I do. Well, like I'm really good on the technical side. Um, I like being able to take things at my own pace and not quite have that stress that an advisor would have. Um, and that's where he's happy. And, um, same with the other, the other, um, power planner that we have at the moment as well, mm-hmm. where for me, like I really enjoyed power planning. Um, and I think I did get, you know, a, a lot of the skills from the technical knowledge and things like that. I really enjoyed that, but yep. I love being an advisor and I love just talking to people all day. Like that's, that's, that's the role for me. And that's what I mm-hmm. wanted to do. And I'm, I'm very happy with that, but I can definitely see why people might want to be a career para planner or a career CSO or anything else. Like I, I think, you know, and, and those people do amazing jobs at those roles and it, it just depends on your personality type and things like that too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you raised that because we often talk about financial planning or being a financial planner as the end goal. That's not the goal for everyone. People listening might get into the industry and find that they really love client services or really love power planning and want to do that. And you can make great careers out of that. Um, Career power planners and career CSOs, they can make great money in those roles and they can have very fulfilling careers. Um, So yeah, definitely glad that, that you mentioned that. One thing I wanted to chat about as well, Mitch, was when you were looking at um, different places to work, did you have a preference in terms of moving into a smaller business or starting in one of the larger corporations like a bank? What were your thoughts before you had that industry experience? Yeah, great question. Um, I don't think, I think, <laughs> I think at, in my fit of rage at my previous employment, I didn't really give it too much thought. I was just like, I don't care. I just want any kind of, I, like, I just want to get my foot in the door. I didn't really care where it was. Um, I'm really lucky that I found somewhere that did genuinely care about my skills and experience and growth. Um, and I think even on like the application, they said, you know, potential to be, to grow throughout the business and become a, a financial advisor over time, which obviously appealed to me. Um so I, I, yeah, like I said, I kind of started off in like a small firm, which has kind of merged, become like a, a medium-sized firm now. Mm. Um, and I'm really glad that that's the way I went. Um, and it was pure luck, but I, I'm really glad that's the way I went because like when I started, I had one advisor, one CSO, and I was the power planner. Like mm. it was a very small team. Um, but that meant I had a lot of one-on-one time with the advisor where again, that strategy work, there's a ton of strategy work that I got to learn and bounce off him. Uh, I learned from that. I got to do some CSO um, stuff on the side as well. So I found that really rewarding. Mm. Um, and I love that. Um, I had a friend that did go and apply at one of the big banks um, and they'd worked in another position. And they basically said that, you know, it, it, it seemed a lot more, um, I guess, really straightforward. Like, I don't think you have that. Well, you don't have that one-on-one contact in a, mm. in a bigger bank or something like that, because it's, you know, you, your career progression might be more straightforward uh, and more defined, which is the benefit of a biggest, bigger bank or a bigger, you know, firm. Um, but I think you lose some of your ability to grow personally and become like a really great advisor, which is something that I've really valued. Yeah, so, yeah. I agree. So um, what, what about you, Azaria? Like, h- how did you find it? Like, have you worked in, like, I, obviously, I don't know the kind of size of the businesses that you've worked in. How, how mm-hmm. have you found those differences? Yeah, so before I started in the industry, I was really set on working for a big bank or a big company. And I think my reasoning was that I assumed that they'd have really good training in place, which I've heard is the case. A lot of those bigger corporations have set training programs, which you can just ease right into. Um, so that was what my plan was. I didn't obviously have plan to get a job at the place that I had. It was a bit of a, um, by chance. And that place was a medium, I guess, maybe a medium sized business. Maybe we had about eight advisors. And what I found in that role was that I had really tailored, really specific one-on-one training with my boss, who was my, uh, who was the principal advisor. So because I was working as essentially his associate or assistant, he would be coaching me every day, every second of the day. Um, Whether or not he realized that, because we worked so closely together, I was getting so much invaluable advice and training, not only on my career, but also some great personal advice as well, which is awesome. It's really good to have a good working relationship with the people that you work with. Um, But I found that because it was a smaller business and he wanted to see me go through the ranks, he was really invested in my growth. 
Um, and I think I definitely benefited a lot from that. And then from there, I now work in an even smaller business. Um, we are now free advisors. And I found that really good as well for a similar reason, because I was reporting directly to the main advisor, a lot of really good one-on-one -on -one training. Yeah. Um, and that, that will open a whole other conversation in our next uh, episode, because I did all of that training online, because the place I work for now is completely remote. I hadn't even met my boss for a year um, when I was working there. Um, but yeah, so I haven't had that experience working in a big firm. I have friends who have, and they seem to really enjoy it. I think your first role in the industry is not always going to be your last role in the industry. So just start somewhere, see what you think, um, see how you like it. And then you can always move in the future if needed. Yeah. I, I want to ask you too, because I mean, I think we painted a, a pretty rosy picture for, for starting off in a smaller business. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think one of the drawbacks, at least in my experience of working in a, in a smaller to medium-sized business is that you have the greater technical um, ability and ability to learn and grow a lot more and have that one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one contact like you spoke about. But I think obviously the career progression is probably... I guess it's more vague. It's not mm. as quite as maybe set on like um, certain, you know, abilities like a bigger bank or something like that might be like that might have a bit more of a rigid, um, you know, situation of you do this, then you can kind of move up the ranks, that sort of thing, where obviously with smaller businesses, that's at least in my experience, less so the case. And mm. it's more like you grow over time. And then as the business grows, then maybe there's some more ability for you to, to move into another role. Um, and, and that was very much my experience like yeah. how, how was that for you was that similar or yeah I'd say it was quite similar um, I think where I was working they had a bit of a strange setup with the advisors where if you had the capacity to be an advisor and you were qualified then they would just make you an advisor so it was pretty straightforward there in I did find that in a smaller business it's a lot more self-directed in terms of your career progression you really have to be the one to push for that um, mm. even for example in my first role there were no set performance reviews I would initiate those conversations um so yeah it was a lot more self-guided I found but mm. one thing I was going to check with you as well was in terms of the interview process of the places that you've worked how did you approach that conversation in terms of career progression I think the most important thing you can do is be clear up front on what you want mm -hmm. and like what you're trying to achieve um I mean I think you need to be reasonable too right like I think uh, at least the more I've moved into, um, the, the more I've kind of moved up my role in um, my current business and being more in the business side of meetings and things like that. Um, I think it's really interesting that there really needs to be a business case for everything. Yeah. Um, so that needs to be kept in mind, right? Like you can't just be like, well, I want to be an advisor day one and get paid, you yeah. know, a ton of money, but then not have any clients, that sort of thing. So it's, um, really interesting and like I think you need that career progression you should start you know um in one of those more beginner roles um and gain that experience but you should make it very clear over time that that is you know where you want to be is where you want to be if you want to be an advisor make it clear that's where you, where you want to get to and make mm. it clear that you want skills training and experience that's going to help you you know be trained for that um and if you have a good employer they should um assist with that it might take time like for me I think it was like four years until I got to my professional year. So mm -hmm. four years of paraplaning CSO, but I started having that conversation from day dot. And then at day, you know, year uh, three, that conversation got a lot more real. And I said, mm -hmm. look, this is what I want. Um, what's the time frame around it? Uh, what skills do I need to develop between here and there to achieve that? Yeah, no, that's really great advice. In my role um, at my first place that I worked, as I mentioned, I got that role through a scholarship. I had the really unique opportunity of the three years after that to actually be on the, on the other side and seeing the scholarship applications and mm. seeing what people put down on their resumes and kind of having somewhat of a say in who came into the business after me. And a few of the things that I found the advisors were looking for is they were looking for people who knew specifically what their career progression ideally looked like. So we had a lot of people who would apply and they'd say, I want to be in financial planning because I want to help people or I want to be a financial planner because of X, Y, Z. The people that got the roles were the people that said, I'm in the industry for this reason. Ideally, I'd like to start by doing this. Then I'd like to progress into this. And at the end, 
um, I'd like to be an advisor and these are the types of people I'd like to help. Just showing that you've really thought through your career and that you're serious about it and you're not there to waste anyone's time is going to put you ahead of everyone, in my opinion. No, I 100% agree. Um, when I, I remember pretty clearly, like when I went for my interview, um, you know, you start off, you have the initial interview with whoever and then this next stage for me was like, um, you know, a, a, a bigger interview um, or, or like a more formal interview, I suppose you could call it. And then I had to have some like um, psychometric testing, which was mm -hmm. really scary. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but I guess I didn't do too poorly on that because obviously mm -hmm. I got the role. Um, but I remember, I remember being told that, I, I mean, obviously after I got my job and it would have been like a year after I'd been working there, I asked my boss, I said, you know, were there many applicants or anything like that? And he said, yeah, there were a few and ultimately it came down to you and someone else. So there was Ooh. two of us like in the running. Um, and we both kind of had the same, you know, we're both at uni, both in the same position. And I was like super curious. I was like, yeah. oh, wow, why did you pick me over this other person? And he said, um, because having that conversation, I could tell that you were really passionate about it. Mm. And like you seemed genuinely interested in, you know, it wasn't just a, you know, even if you didn't have as much experience or whatever else it might have been, like you, you really cared and you could tell that you spoke so passionately about it. So mm -hmm. just showing that enthusiasm, I, I agree, is is is. I, I think that can even beat out. It can be the, the deciding factor. So, oh, yeah, totally. I, I had the same experience. So, with uh, my boss, who when I was doing that uh, work experience, he was actively advertising for an associate advisor role. I asked him. I said, "Why are you offering this to me? I don't meet any of your requirements." And he said, "I understand that, but what I really like about you is that you're really motivated, and you've got a drive, and you want to be part of this industry, and that's why." He said, um, you know, you can you can take anyone who's got the experience and got the qualifications, but you can't create, what, what did he say? He said something about you can't force enthusiasm and you can't force hmm. passion. So he said, although you haven't got that experience, I like the type of person that you are and I think you'd be a good person for the role so I can teach you the rest. Yeah. So I totally agree. Having that passion, it would set you apart massively. 100%. Yeah. And then in terms of other things, I remember um, in terms of why I got this scholarship was I was doing something a little bit different because I think the way I always thought about it was you're graduating along with thousands of other financial planning graduates across the country. What's going to make you special? Um, and for me, I was told that one thing that set me apart was at the time, back in the day, I had a YouTube channel and I was talking about money on YouTube and I was talking about how to budget, things like that. Um, so it was really clear to the people I was applying for that I had a passion in finance, not just because I wanted to work in the industry, but because it was my life. I really enjoyed it. So I think that was part of what set me apart. Um, is there anything else that you can think of, Mitch, that could impress employers when you are searching for your first role in the industry? Yeah, I'm just thinking in my interview, I remember, I just remembered that, um, I remember my my boss, my current boss um, in the interview being really astounded because like in the part where they say, do you have any questions for us? I actually asked them questions mm -hmm. um, and they were like really impressed by that. And I, I just wrote down some before I went into the interview, just some really basic things like, you know, I asked my boss, like, what is the great thing about working here? Like, why should I work here? What, what, mm. why do, what do you like about working here? Um, and I asked like a handful of those and they were like really impressed that I asked questions. So and I remember him saying it to me after the case. I was like, yeah, you, you seem really engaged and really prepared. Um, I, I didn't really have as much um, background experience. Or I, I didn't have my own YouTube channel, which <laughs> I, I would say is pretty impressive. So, um, But I did have a lot of previous engagements with things like, so, so I also studied law um, and I was also part of like my law student society and things like that. And um, I was a mentor at university. So I had participated in a few things outside, you know, just going to uni, which I think mm -hmm. might've helped me a little bit, um, but nothing, nothing particularly in relation to finance, but I think those things, yeah, all help for sure. Yeah, totally. No, I totally agree. So let's say someone has um, looked at the different roles available. They've decided what they're applying for and they've got their interview and they've got the things that set them apart. They've got some really great questions to ask the employer. Then the question of pay comes up. How do you approach that salary conversation? What was, did you have that conversation in your first role, Mitch? How did that go for you? 
I didn't. Um, I was just chuffed to get the role. So <laughs> I, I didn't even, I didn't even really have the conversation. Um, and to be honest, it was probably lower than what I would have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, my, mine might've been skewed a little bit too, because I was working like three or four days a week. So obviously it was like a three or four day a week, you know, you know, uh, allocation of that salary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember getting like the, like the contract and looking at it and back, Oh, I kind of thought it'd be a bit more than that. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was uh, like, you know, I, I, and I've seen a lot of people come through that have started in power planning roles and CSO roles and that are, that are younger have come through university. Like we've maybe had three or four since. Mm-hmm. And I remember a lot of them, I always have the same conversation with them and they're like, man, I probably could have got more money if I just worked <laughs> like full time at like, you know, Harvey Norman or something. And yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah. But that's like a now thing. Um, and as you progress, obviously, it's, you know, you become in quotation marks more valuable mm-hmm. in terms of what you bring to the business. So um, I'd say, yeah, I, I personally didn't have that conversation. Um, and it was quite low and it's quite low for a while um, mm. until obviously I started moving up into more that um, senior power planner advisor ranks. Um, but, but what about you? Did you end up having that conversation when you started? Yes, I'm just trying to think back now. I remember when I was in the restaurant where my boss offered me the role and I don't actually believe I negotiated from the get-go. I think I was, same as you, just grateful to have the opportunity and almost, and this is a mistake, I believe, I almost felt that I owed them. Um, Mm. So therefore it would be rude for me to ask for more money because they were doing me a favour by giving me a role. Yeah. I no longer think that's the case. I think yep. that you should always ask for slightly more than what you want. Um, employers are expecting you to negotiate a salary. So if you don't negotiate anything, they're going to give you not necessarily the lowest they can pay you, but as a business, it makes them makes sense for them to, to pay their staff um, a smaller wage. So I would say if you're going into it for the first time, and this is speaking from experience now as someone who has negotiated salaries and has had those conversations since, um, have a figure in mind that you're aiming for, ask for a couple of thousand dollars more than that um, and ask for it bravely. Don't go into it and say, oh, I don't know. I'm you know, happy with whatever, with whatever you think's right or um, go into it confidently and ask for a number because the worst they're going to do is they're going to come back with a lower amount you can negotiate that. I think maybe my fear was that if I asked for more than what they were asking for, they'd just give the job to someone else. Mm. Um, That's not the case. If you've gotten to that point of talking about money and getting that interview, they are, you are their preference and you can leverage that and use that to your advantage. Yeah. I'm I'm curious as to like, how did you come to the number that you would offer? Do you looking on like average job salary or um because obviously like the number you want is kind of like well I would like five hundred thousand dollars but I probably probably can't ask yeah (laughs) so was there something you used to guide you yeah so when I um so yeah as I mentioned I I just got offered uh the money I was on and it it wasn't a good amount of money and I really regretted that for a long time because I found it was so hard to then increase to a level that I thought was reasonable it's so much easier if you just start out at a level that you're happy with and increase from there so starting from really low to trying to about a year and a half down the line get my pay increase to what I believed was industry average I looked at websites like Glassdoor I also had a lot of really good open conversations with my peers who were at the same point in their careers to find out what they were getting paid and they were getting paid tens of thousand dollars more than I was so it was really really difficult to then go in um to my employees and say, hey, I know you've been paying me X for all this time. Can you now bump my salary up $20,000? It just, it wasn't happening. Even though that was the average and that's what I would be getting anywhere else, I couldn't get that money because um, I kind of already built the expectation that I was happy being paid a lower pay. Mm. Um, And the only way for me to get the pay that I felt I deserved was then to um, move elsewhere. Um, But for yourself, Mitch, obviously you're still at the same place you started out in, you're really happy there, you've progressed your career through um, that, what would you do differently if you were starting again in terms of approaching that salary conversation? Wow, that's a really good question. Do you mean like starting again, like when I first looked in the door and applied? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Would you, do you think you would have asked for a number this time around? Yeah, I think after this chat with you, yeah, (laughs) I think I I would. I mean, I had a similar experience, but yeah, it was probably lower than what I would have liked for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
I mean, maybe we can talk about this in a second, but alongside university and things like that, it can be challenging. Um, so I think I probably would go in uh, and, and ask for maybe a bit more. Like, I, I'm just trying to remember where, where I was at. I think I think I definitely probably could have squeezed out a little bit more. Um, but like you said, the worst I can say is no. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if I had the confidence and like you said, I didn't have that mindset of like, well, I owe them something. So I mm. should probably just take it. Um, I think I probably would have come back and said, well, maybe we can round it to, to this number instead, like an, another, you know, five or 10 more. Um, yeah. and like I said, just see, see what they come back with. And like I said, the worst they come back and say, sorry, that's kind of all we offer for this role. Um, and you can just say, that's fine if you're comfortable with that. Or you can say, okay, well, I don't want the job and I'll look for another job. Yeah. That's um, it. Yeah. I mean, but I always find too, I think if I was to do it over again, I, I would ask for more. And even if they said no, I would have taken it. Yeah. just for the sake of getting my foot in the door and getting some experience totally. because then after you have like a year or two you could just go somewhere else and you have the experience to use that to back you um, and you say well I worked here this is how much I earned can you beat that and that mm -hmm. usually once you have a couple of years experience other places if they are looking for someone and you're good at your job will say yes and we'll offer you this much and then you can have that conversation again yeah but that's that's how I would go about it if I was to do it again I think definitely and one thing I'd say for anyone listening to look out for, one thing that got me is I remember in a role that I had, I was really fighting for a higher pay and they didn't give me what we wanted, what I wanted. They gave me slightly more. So let's just use the number of, I actually can't remember what it was, but let's say they settled on 55,000. So I was like, oh, cool, $55,000. Um, and then, and then I get super on top of that. I get the contract. It was $55,000 including super. So my mm. actual pay was quite a bit less than $55,000. Yeah. So I'd done all that, you know, all that fighting, all that advocating for myself. Um, and I just hadn't made that one specification clear that that's what I was expecting, not including super. So make sure you know, make sure you include that when you're talking about what pay you expect, because that can be easily misinterpreted. Yeah. I mean, my, my pay is including super also. I think, I don't know if that's like an industry standard for financial yeah, planning, yeah. but like that was something that caught me out when I originally said, I'm like, oh, that includes super. So, yeah. oh, okay. That's actually not quite, you know, which is fair enough. Um, yeah, that's it. That's just a bit of a rookie error on our behalf. Um, I do want to just go back and ask something. This is kind of dragging something up from a little while ago, but I know that you also said you studied, you know, and you're working while you're studying mm -hmm. still, um, which obviously that was kind of like what I did. But how did you find that? Like, I'm just so curious to hear like your perspective on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I really wanted to do that because I wanted to have... Uh, the context from both sides. So when I was studying at university, I was like, oh yeah, I can relate that back to my work. And um, when I was at work, I could relate what I was learning at uni back to what I was doing. So that was really good. Um, I did find, however, that that last year of university, when I was already working in the industry, such a drag. My focus on my grades just switched off. I was like, well, I'm already here. Why would I be trying to get high distinctions? Um, I'm, I'm already in the industry and I found it really, really hard to get through those last um, few months of university because I just wasn't motivated anymore. Um, and I don't regret that at all. I have actually never been asked for my grades or yeah. my transcript in any role <laughs> that I've worked in in the industry. Um, so I could have been barely passing for all anyone would know. Um, not to say don't focus on your <laughs> grades. Definitely focus on your grades. Definitely focus on your grades because that's really valuable knowledge that you're going to use in your role. Um, but yeah, I found I'm glad that I did it. However, I did really struggle with the balance of um, work and also still prioritizing university. Yeah. Did, did you work, how many days did you work while at uni? Was it like three or four uh, days less? I think it was uh, originally three days and it went to four days. And then eventually I just did full time and just did my classes online. So it was really hard to, to balance that. Um, but that's because I had been in the industry for a while. I really wanted to increase my responsibilities in my role Whereas for anyone starting out, I'd say just make sure that the employer that you're going with are really understanding and clear on the fact that you do need to balance the two. Hmm. Um, what was yeah. your experience, Mitch? Yeah, I think I had the same, like I think it was three days and four days of full-time like you. Mm -hmm. um, and I can really relate to the, uh, the, you know, in your last year, you don't really care as much. Um, I, I remember like the final capstone unit for financial planning was like essentially learning how to, add information to X plan and how to write in this yeah. away. And I'd already been a power planner for like a year and a half, two years by that point. Mm -hmm. So I, I know 
I, I should be outing myself like this on a podcast, but I, I know for a fact that I did not attend. I think I attended like half an hour of the first like web, like seminar. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't need to do anything for this. And I, I did not attend a single class. Uh, and I did the assignments and I did well in both of them because mm-hmm. it was just right an SOA. And obviously that's what I knew how to do. And yeah. I, I really, and I really relate to being able to have that work um, experience to back up the uni because it's like what you do you learn at work and you know things I learn at work I then had to go in and do at university mm-hmm. and, um, and that really solidified the information in my brain because then I could ask more complex questions that I don't think I would have been able to ask otherwise because mm-hmm. um, I might not have had the same level of deep understanding on it um, I, I really liked it I personally didn't find it that hard to balance you know study and work just because um, I was already working quite a bit before that at my, my previous job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say that I had a similar thing um, in the way that, yeah, I, I kind of like, well, I already have this role and I'm doing well in this role. So I guess I don't really care that much about my grades and not to say my grades um, fell. My, my law grades probably fell because I didn't care as much. Yeah. Um, my financial, like my financial um, planner grades probably actually got better because I had um, that background knowledge. So I kind of, I kind of knew it pretty well. Um, so, cause it's kind of like what I learned at work, I could, you know, use mm. at uni. Um, but I really agree with you in that no one, I don't think I would be asked for my grades and I don't think anyone would really care. No. Um, and I remember being told an old adage, which is like, you know, your, your, your university results get you your first job and then your first job gets you your second job. That's very um, correct. <laughs> So I, I feel like if I was to go for a new role now, I don't think I would mention university at all. I think yep. I would just mention, here's what I did. Here's what I excelled at. Here are the roles and responsibilities that I took and, and here are the extra things that I did on top to, to make myself an excellent employee. And mm-hmm. I think that's what would get me another job. So Yeah, totally agree. And one last thing I wanted to mention with the salary conversation is one thing I found really challenging was I could look at the glass door average salaries um, but I didn't really have much guidance on exactly what I should expect to be paid so Mm. you and me Mitch we're both advisors now in the industry what would you be asking for in your first role with no experience no experience I mean it depends on the role I guess right like uh, I've only started as a power planner Um, I mean power planner I started as a power planner and I think anywhere from 40 to 50 grand is what I would probably start to look at Um, I think it it depends as well on terms of obviously one thing that I've always found challenging as is that when you look up you know um, salaries it depends on if you're more rural or in a city True. Um, so I don't work in Melbourne uh, I work in Geelong so for me pay is probably a bit lower than average in Melbourne so because mm-hmm. it's obviously a city um, so I'd probably take that in consideration as well like if I lived in a city I'd probably definitely be asking for at least 50 I think yeah. Um, but being more rural, I'd probably be, you know, 40 to 50 is probably where I'd try and throw my pitchfork. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Good, good that you've mentioned, um, location. Um, it's good to have that context because me, I've, um, I've always been in Brisbane city right in the CBD and my expectation would be, um, no lower than $50,000. And I'd probably ask for 55 to $60,000, mm. um, and expect to be haggled down a bit from there. Yeah. So I'd say that's probably, yeah, we're on similar uh, wavelengths. It's a good range. Yeah, yeah good range. I think so, for sure. Yeah. So you have had that conversation. You've got your first role. You've got your contract. You know what you're getting paid. Could you reflect, Mitch, and I know this is going back a, a bit of a long time, what did you expect to be doing in your role and how was your role different to what you expected? <laughs> That's a really good question because I didn't even know what a power planner was. And I, I, <laughs> if I was at uni and I, I spoke to a lot of university students um, with my work with the FBA and like a lot of them don't know what the roles are. And I don't mm. think that's a weird thing. And I didn't know. Like, um, so when I was like, you're a power planner, I'm like, cool, whatever. I'll do it. <laughs> just get, just let me, let me put me in coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I knew I was going to be writing advice documents, but I didn't, I, this is before we even touched on uni and like how to write a statement of advice. Like I didn't even mm. know any of that. Um, so I had no clue. 
Um, so I guess my expectations were relatively blank. I, I think a, a good way to think of it is almost like a paralegal and a lawyer. Like it's almost mm -hmm. like a good way to like, um, like you start in this role where you do some of that back end work and then you can move into like a um, lawyer position um, or a solicitor position. Um, that's how I kind of thought about it. Um, and so my expectations were, yeah, I can't really even really remember, but yeah. um, I remember when I started off, uh, all I wanted to know how to do was to learn how to write a statement of advice. And then I remember sending my first one to my boss because um, I kind of got thrown in the deep end. He's like, yeah, just write a statement of advice. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, and I remember sending one through to him and he he went through and basically all of it was like um, read corrections, like get rid of this, reword this, make it like, like this. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> um, and my goal originally was just to get to the point where he couldn't correct anything. Yeah. And I see that with the people that I work with now. And um, at the end of the day, I think there's always going to be something to correct, no matter how good you are, because there's different preferences on how to write things and everything else. But it got a lot better over time. Um, and my expectation, uh, I suppose, of really what I wanted to do was really increase my technical knowledge because I wanted to be an advisor. And um, I think my my boss really wanted a power planner to, to do that side of things. Like he wanted someone to just be able to, learn what investments are correct um, basically look at the look at the file say these are the investments that we want to invest in give it to him for, for him to review and why him to go yeah i agree that's right mm. and then it goes straight in the yes away because it takes more work of him yeah and now i know at my current role um i'm kind of a bit of the investment guy like that's the thing that i really love to do and the other advisors will come to me and ask my opinion on certain investments because that's a, a strong skill set of mine because i loved it so much and I learned so much while I was doing it as a power planner. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that, that was, that was kind of how it went for me. So I didn't really have anything, but then um, my expectations were just to continue growing and learning. So, mm -hmm. but, but what about you? Like, obviously your role was, uh, I mean, as an associate advisor, I wonder what your thoughts were. Yeah, I, I guess I was similar. I didn't really have too many set expectations um, and it was a really steep learning curve. So I'd say probably similar to you, I might've expected a bit more, hand-holding a bit more systems in terms of training. There wasn't any systems or rule books mm. to follow in my role at all. Yeah. Um, it was really very much just, just you ask go. people when you have a question. Yeah, that's mm. right. Just chat to different people, um, learn it yourself and, and kind of figure out what you're doing. So yeah, I probably expected a bit more structure. I didn't get that. It was very much a bit more self-guided. What else? I, I kind of agree with it. Like that's kind of the same for me. And it was a system of learn from stuffing up a little bit, like learn yeah. from your failure. <laughs> and I think I'm a person that doesn't like failing. Like that's not something I like doing. Like I like getting things right. So that was a bit of a shock for me when I started. I think that was something I found really difficult. Like I said, I had all those like red marks at the start. I just wanted to get to the point where I didn't have any. And I think, mm -hmm. I think if you're going to go in for a job, especially at the start there, I think, maybe be prepared to acknowledge and accept that you don't know everything and that you probably don't know as much as you think you do. And, um, and not because you don't know a lot, I'm sure you probably do, but it's just a matter of like, there's so much practicality to everything that unless you, until you do it, it's so hard to actually know those sorts of things. So that really yeah. not, that took me down a notch a little bit. Um, but I yeah. think, yeah, learn from that failure really helped. I, yeah, I had the exact same experience and that, that reminds me of another thing. I expected that my degree knowledge would help me more than it did. Mm. I found that the stuff that I'd learned at uni, often it wasn't until a couple of years down the line that I'd actually need that knowledge. Um, and I'd say at least 90% of the work I was doing, I was learning from my experience. I wasn't, that wasn't from um, knowledge from university. Yeah, I find it. I found that university knowledge was like a really good preface. Like it was a really good introduction to everything mm -hmm. to give me an idea of that these things existed, but then I have like a complex understanding and go a bit deeper on each of those topics, you know, you kind of get from work, but it's enough that when someone, you know, threw phrases at me, I kind of understood and could, could follow a conversation, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, you kind of need a deeper level of understanding than that. I found. Yeah, definitely. And I also struggled with the whole, oh, I'm doing everything so badly and I'm doing wrong because at university, if you, you know, if you follow the rules of what they're expecting from you and you get the green ticks and you get that hmm. constant, um, I guess that validation. constant affirmation and validation. Yeah. yeah. When you get your grades back, you're like, yes, I've done a great job and now I'm going to move on to the next task. 
Whereas in the working world, it's, it's nothing like that at all. You're doing lots of things at once and you're going to get some people and you, and you rarely hear, you rarely hear, yeah, yeah, that was really great. It's more often, oh, can you fix this? Yeah. It's going to make you feel like you don't know what you're doing. You don't deserve to be there. And you might have that imposter syndrome, but no one's expecting you to hit the ground running on day one, day one without any experience. Um, so use that to your yeah. advantage and, and ask for help. Like constantly ask for help for people that know more than you, uh, people that you want to be like in the future in terms of in higher roles than you. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I am struggling or can you take some time to teach me about this? I, I love that. And, you know, I've got advisors that I've worked with that have 20, 30 years experience. And I remember going to a con- uh, having a conversation with one advisor that I really respected um, and she was fantastic at her role. Um, and I remember her saying to me one day, like, because we were talking about, again, we're talking about investments and that just mm-hmm. wasn't her strong suit. And she was really great at a lot of different topics um, that I was really weak at. And she mm-hmm. said to me like, oh, I just feel like such an imposter. Like, I just don't know any of this. And I just feel like, I just feel hopeless. Like, I just feel like mm-hmm. I don't know. And I'm like, how do you feel? Like, <laughs> I feel like that, you know, like, that's so crazy. And, yeah, you know, how about I tell you about these things and I can help you learn that and you can help me learn these other issues. And I mm-hmm. think it doesn't matter if you're a grad or if you're someone that's worked in the industry for 20, 30 years. Like I think the moment you stop trying to learn and and especially learn of other people, regardless of their experience level, um, I think that's when you start to go backwards uh, or Mm. or stagnate. And because there's always someone you can learn from. Um, I have the view that if you're a very experienced advisor, you know, there's, you know, people you can learn off that are new because they don't have the same lens as you do in terms Mm. of, you know, this has been this way for 20 years. So therefore it always should be the case. You, you, you know, that's something that my boss appreciated. I come in and said, but why is this the case? Like, mm. I don't, I don't understand. Explain this to me. And then he would be like, Oh, actually that is a bit silly, isn't it? Like, and, and that sort of thing where if you knew someone with 30 years experience, that's like a great place to start and get all your knowledge on, you know, technical, how to talk to clients, what the roles are like, you know, you can, everyone can learn from each other. And I think if you have that mindset, um, you'll, you'll progress really well. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of other challenges that I might have encountered um, in my first role outside of just feeling like an imposter because I think everyone's going to experience that at some point. Hmm. Other challenges um, and everyone's going to experience their own based on their personality was that I was really bad at remembering things. I had a really terrible memory. (laughs) So someone would ask me to do something. They'd follow me up in a couple of days and I hadn't done it. Not because I didn't want to do it, but because I completely forgot. Um, So for me, that looked like setting to-do lists um, and also using technology for that. Mm. Another thing I was really bad at for probably the first maybe two years of my career was um, setting reminders, setting tasks, using my calendar and using the technology that we had in either X-Plan or AdvisorLogic, whatever we were using. Um, If I had just got on top of that from day one and got on top of my emails, I was really terrible as well with emails. I'd let my emails get out of control. If I had set up a system and I reckon what would have been best, talk to the different advisors and say to them, how do you manage your tasks? How do you manage your emails? Take a bit from everyone, figure out what you think is going to work best for you and practice that from day one. Otherwise, you're going to spend your whole career feeling like you're constantly chasing your tail and trying to get on top of everything. Yeah, to-do lists. All right, so if you're listening to this and you're you're a grad and you're like, okay, what's the number one thing that I should take away uh, if I do start a new job? To-do lists are an absolute lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Um, every And it's so satisfying just to tick off things every day. Like, I, I love that. Um, but, I mean, I had, I mean, each role has its own challenges, right? So when I was a power planner, um, I can't spell very well. Um, so writing, you know, big documents and things like that wasn't my strong suit. But I actually really enjoyed doing that for a while because now my grammar and spelling is actually really good um, because I, <laughs> I made so many mistakes and failed so many times. I, yeah. I just learned how to do it in the end. Um, but the biggest one for me was, yeah, becoming an advisor. Um, time management was killing me mm, um just same. i'm like i had all these tasks and i just don't know how i have the time and i just forget things I, I was i was just constantly worried that something's just gonna fall under the rug and i, I just wasn't gonna remember something yeah. and i was like so scared of that i'm like i don't want to let a client down because i should have remembered this five minute phone call i had before i had to go do like 10 other things mm-hmm. um so for me yeah I, I just added my calendar straight away i'm like i remember it if it's in my calendar i would write it on my like little to-do list 
Um, I have like a work in progress spreadsheet where I say, here's the client, here's the job, where it's at. Uh, and I just check that like every morning, um, things like that. Like, and oh, I feel so much more confident about it now mm-hmm. um, with those things in place. So I'd say definitely, yeah, consider that. Thankfully, yeah. emails aren't an issue because I'm an email uh, guru. So that's my very emails good. are always like very low. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, one thing, um, some of the ways you felt you were supported in your first role that really stuck with you and really helped you in your career. Yeah, my, my boss, 100%. I think, yeah. I think that... That's the biggest one for me was that, you know, if I didn't know something, I, I think I remember, and I could be getting this wrong because it's been a while, but when I first started writing SOAs, my boss would be like, okay, come into my office and we'll chat for half an hour about, you know, what the situation is. Let's talk about the strategy. Let's talk about mm. what we're trying to achieve. Um, and he did that for like six months. Like he put a lot of time and effort into that. And that's how I really got good at my role and, knew, and knew, mm. knew that I knew what I was talking about. Um and, you know, I can't even remember when that stopped, but, you know, eventually it got down at 15 minutes and five minutes and then I didn't really need it because I just look and go, yeah, I know what this is and I don't really need to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the biggest help by and large, um, just having that and, and having that support. Yeah, that, that helped me a lot. What, yeah. what about you? Did you, was there something, was it say, a similar thing for you or? Exactly the same. I think yeah. just having a great boss or a great mentor in the business that you're working in will help you massively. I also had a boss that really took the time to explain things to me. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed doing was what we did in the business, we do what was called like a power planning request. So I'd look at the client's information after the meeting and say, all right, I've seen my boss do this many meetings. I kind of have a sense for how he approaches different strategies. So what he'd get me to do is, Azaria, you write out the strategy based on what you think it's going to be. Then we'll sit down and talk about it and I'll tell you the ways in which you were right, the ways in which you were wrong um, and, and what we want to do from there. So the more exposure I got to that, the more quickly I learned. So yeah. totally agree. Having a boss that's um, really invested in you is really helpful. So it's probably a good idea to gauge in the interview process who you'll be working with um, and if they seem to have a passion for mentoring people. Um, you don't want to be seen as like another, another number in the business. Yeah. And I think, I think with the interview process too, originally, like you said, you know, I think you feel grateful for, for the, the place taking you on, but I think, you need, I think everyone needs to understand that an interview process is two way. You, the, 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 the business isn't just figuring out if you're the right person for them. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out if that's the right business for you as well. It's an yeah. interview process for you as much as it is for them. Mm-hmm. So um, you might find that you don't like the way they talk or you don't like, you know, um, their attitude towards some certain things. You can always say no and that you, that's yeah. not somewhere you want to be um, yeah. based on that. And, uh, you know, I, I would recommend that. Um, like if you don't feel like that place is going to be good for your learning and development, then I, I personally would, would, would not go there. Um, totally. especially in your first role like I said you because it's not like it's not like buying a house where you're stuck in it forever like you can start a job and I think that if it's something that I've gained so far from this conversation it's that having someone that you can really grow and learn from um, is probably the most important and even if you're just there for two years and absorb the information you yeah. can then take that information somewhere else and that information will be really valuable to someone someone will look at you as an applicant and you'll have all this skill and knowledge that you gain from learning from someone else and they'll go oh yeah man, you'll be perfect to this role. We'll pay you more money because you are more experienced and knowledgeable than the other people that are coming through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, that, and that's, you know, Warren Buffett says um, the greatest investment is the investment in you. So investment in your skills and experience. So yeah. I, think, I think that's the thing. If you can learn and grow like that, I think that's the most important thing because you don't lose that, you keep that. No, so. exactly. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point is at the interview stage, if you do pick up on any red flags or if you do, if you are doubting that this might be the place for you and you're not too sure, listen to your guts. Um, this is your career. You build your career and you choose where it's going to go. And we're at a really incredible time in the industry mm. where the industry needs more qualified entrance um, from university. If, you've got, if you're doing your degree and you want to be an advisor, you are hot property in this market. So don't forget that. Don't feel that um, you, know, you owe anything to anyone. Exactly as you've just said, Mitch, you're interviewing the business as well. Um, so let yourself be choosy. There are plenty and plenty of roles out there. So it's worth your while to um, take the time and find the one that's going to work best for you. No, I agree. I think that about wraps up everything that I um, wanted to chat about today, Mitch. I think we've had a really, really great chat. And this has really taken me back to some of um, 
of things that I was thinking in my early career that I'd long forgotten to be honest reminiscing yeah, yeah. from the long old old days yeah we're not that old guys we're not, we're... <laughs> well maybe maybe you're not yeah maybe in context I feel, I feel old yeah <laughs> but yeah thank you so much for this Mitch this has been um such a great chat are there any closing points you'd like to make for anyone who's just about to start the job search um and step into their first role in their career um, I'll just say, yeah, maybe believe in yourself. Like we, we've spoken this whole time and I think a lot of it was being a little bit, you know, what, what the knowledge that you have is, is really useful and there's a shortage of people in the industry. So back yourself, but then also just know when to, to learn from others and to grow and to take initiative. I think those are all really important things. And if you can do that, I think you'll be a, a you know, great employee for, for any business. Um, and, you know. Absolutely. Totally agree. Awesome. Well, this has been really, really good. We are going to have another episode um, talking about what it's actually like to be a financial planner, having been through all this. Anyone who's listening, you now know our story. So if you want to hear how that's progressed um, and what we're doing now, we're going to be doing another episode, um, similar style to this, talking about our experience now as a financial planner. So thank you again, Mitch, so much for jumping on this episode. It has been so much fun. Oh, thank you, Azara. It's really, you've had a very interesting experience, so it's, it's great to, you know, have a chat. The feeling's mutual. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. For great resources and a free student membership, find us at fba.com.au. Good advice makes for great futures.